Welcome to the road to growth, success of an entrepreneur. We've raised the bar. Learn firsthand from successful business owners and create your own path to success. I'm going to show you how great I am. It's time to hit the road to growth with team lead of the Enriquez Group, Realtor Hi, all Vinny. you road to growth listeners. Uh, today, I'm lucky enough to have Michelle Siler Tucker. Uh, she is the founder and CEO of Seller Tucker Incorporated. Thank you for being on the show, Michelle. Thank you for having me, Vinny. It's a pleasure to be here in San Diego. I wish I was on the beach with you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we, we were talking. Place. So you were talking about how your uh, your daughter lives out this way, right? And you have a lot of family from, from California because you were born here, right? No, my daughter doesn't live here. Um, my daughter lives with me. She's 10 years old. Oh, but right, her okay. nanny, her nanny, nanny okay, sorry. Uh, used to live in New Orleans and went back to San Diego. So she, her nanny lives in San Diego. But yeah, okay. so I was born in Long Beach, California. So I do have relatives. Well, and we were talking about how you're hearing a lot of people transitioning from out of California to New Orleans or at least outside of California. What brought you from Long Beach to... Uh, yeah, so that's a funny story. My father is from a family of 12 siblings, and he basically had had enough because apparently they were fighting all the time. And he just told us kids, me and my, my three um, older brothers, I'm the youngest, the only girl, and he said, hey, we're moving. <laughs> we're moving <laughs> to Texas. So he packed us up, and like in the middle of the night, I remember riding with my older brother, um, Robert, and drove all the way to Austin, Texas, <laughs> because wow. he wanted to get rid of his, get away from his siblings. And so we lived in Austin, Texas, and then several of his siblings followed him to Texas. <laughs> and that's a funny story, but that's how we ended up in Texas. He had, wow. he had a business that he owned in California. You know, he, he um, had a business he owned, but he just was ready to get out and leave the family behind. How old are you, you said? I think I was 10. So how and does that play on a, on a 10 year old to, to, to move everything, everything you knew in the middle of the night? Yeah. You know, I don't, I, I think it's much easier on a 10 year old than it would be on like a 16 year old. Right. Yeah. Um, because, you know, when you start getting into junior high and high school, you develop these real friendships and you don't want to leave. Um, for me, I mean, it was okay. You know, um, I had my brothers, I, you know, it was okay. It didn't really bother me. I was always a flexible child anyway that, you know, I always loved meeting strangers. I was not your typical girl that would play with toys and dolls. I was always walking around with a notebook and a pen and I would walk up to strangers and ask them a bunch of questions. <laughs> so I, I was always, you know, the type of person that was a people person that could walk up to anybody and start a conversation with anyone. So you said your dad um, had a company in, in, um, in California, picked up, kind of left to Texas, brought all you kids. So you, it seems like you're pretty involved or kind of aware of what an entrepreneurial life was about at that age. Yes and no. Um, my dad had a business, but that was it. Um, I didn't really come from an entrepreneur or family, although, you know, I did go with him to, you know, his business. Um, he had a couple of businesses. So I went with him to his businesses a couple of times. Um, so I had a little bit of exposure to it. I knew that I didn't want to, you know, work for anybody because a, I don't like anyone telling me what to do. <laughs> it's not my biggest pet peeve. Don't tell me what to do. <laughs> so I knew that I was always going to probably be my own boss. 
Um, and I've, you know, owned many different companies in, in different industries and I still own different companies in different industries. Um, uh, but then I did kind of get sucked up in corporate America where I went to work for a fortune 500 company. Cause they recruited me a small mm -hmm. little company called Xerox. Um, <laughs> so I went to work for them and I was only there for a year, um, because I want, I missed entrepreneurship so much. Wow. Do you remember the, the first company you ever had? Yes, I do. Um, I don't remember exactly how old I was. It was a wedding publication. Um, and it was the licensing rights for a wedding publication. And so I did that. I did that for a while. I've had event companies. I've had different publishing companies. Um, you know, medical, uh, I've had medical legal marketing companies, technology, different industries. With, yep. I mean, talking to a lot of different business owners and, I, and entrepreneurs, I get to hear, okay, I tried this company, I tried this company. And it seems like the companies that really work out, at least for the people that I've had, have been some kind of emotional investment to the company. Was, was there something there with all the different variety of companies that you took on or was, did you look at companies in a different way? I look at companies in a completely different way. I don't get tied to companies like everybody else does. I look at companies as a vehicle, as an asset. You build your asset, you sell it. You build your asset, you sell it. I don't get emotionally involved with companies. You know, I feel like when people make decisions based on emotions, then they don't make good decisions whatsoever. So I try to keep emotions out of business as much as possible. Um, that's what, you know, that's why so many businesses don't sell because there's so much seller's remorse that sits in because everybody looks at their business as their baby and I don't want to part with their baby until they have to because a catastrophic event occurred. Well, by then it's too late, <laughs> you know, by then if a catastrophic event occurred, then your business is typically turning downward, not, not turning up. So you really need to treat your business as an asset. You got to stop thinking of it as your, as your child. And mm -hmm. so I've never been emotionally tied to any of my businesses, you know, if I am going to be emotionally tied to any of them, I would say maybe my M&A firm, because that's where all my blood, sweat and tears are <laughs> because it's such a difficult industry. And, um, you know, I've been in it for about 20 years and it's, it's a tough industry. So I would say if I was going to be emotional about any industry, any business that this would be it. <laughs> so, so if you're listening right now, MMA mergers and acquisitions, so uh, when did when did you switch over from building a company to, I guess, partnering up with company? Because that has to feel like, a, I guess, a different uh, different roadmap, correct? When did I when did I what? When did I go oh, from so when you first when you started building companies at the beginning of like your wedding publication, right? You built uh -huh. that from the ground up and then over time you started, I guess, partnering up with companies, correct? With the yeah, part, well, I started selling businesses first. So. Okay. I left Xerox. I was at Xerox for about six months and my nickname became the closer. So whenever somebody couldn't close a deal, they would bring me in and they would say, call the closer. She can do it. And so then, but, but right away, my manager came to me and said, you should apply for the regional vice president position. You'll never get it at Xerox because you've only been here for six months and you're up against people who've been here for years, but you should do it anyway. So I did it. I threw my name in a hat. It was a three month grueling process. I ended up getting it. <laughs> So within six months, I moved up the corporate ladder in Xerox, but then I realized how much I hated it because I love dealing with clients. I'm a people person. I like solving problems. I like coming up with solutions. I like selling. I like the art of the deal. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, when you're management at corporate America, you're really having meetings to schedule more meetings to schedule more meetings, and you really don't accomplish anything. <laughs> so, you know, I started looking for a business to buy. 
And because this is going to answer your question, but I started looking for a business to buy. I stumbled across a franchisor, wanted to buy their franchise and keep my day job at Xerox because it was a great position, great money, great benefits. And I knew I was going to go up that corporate ladder pretty quickly. Well, they said, look, we don't want you to buy a franchise. We want you to, you know, partner with us and um, help us sell franchises. So I said, look, you, you saw, they knew of me. They knew of my husband. My husband actually knew him. And they said, we'll give you a franchise. So I said, well, let me try it out for six months because you're not successful. <laughs> so I don't know if I'm going to leave this great position <clears throat> at, at Xerox for a company that's not successful. So I did it for six months. And within six months, quadrupled my income at Xerox. So I knew it was time to leave. So that's sort of my franchise development, franchise sales and franchise consulting career. I've sold hundreds upon hundreds of franchises. And then um, they did what a lot of companies do. They never built a solid foundation. So we grew, 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 but they never uh, built the infrastructure to handle the growth. So I could tell, so they started over-promising, under-delivering, they weren't servicing franchisees. I realized very quickly our values were not aligned. So that's when I said, well, it's time for me to move on. It's time for you to buy me out. And then that's when I transitioned into, I'm like, well, what am I going to do now? And that's when I transitioned into selling businesses for small businesses. And then very quickly, I started selling larger businesses. Then I realized that what Steve Forbes says is true. Eight out of 10 businesses will not sell. Eight out of 10. So then I'm like, if I don't fix them, if I don't tweak them, if I don't build them, grow them to sell, then I'm going to starve to death. So that's when I started partnering with business owners, investing my money, investing my resources, expertise, et cetera, to grow these businesses. And in some cases, buy the businesses and flip them. Do you think there is, I mean, being that you've sold so many businesses, right, and bought so many businesses, do you think there's a, a roadmap of kind of what you'd look at of, okay, this is a company, if someone's listening right now, they built a business or building a business and they're looking to sell uh, their business, What's something they, they should do, processes should go through, anything like that? Well, there's a lot of stuff they should do. <clears throat> uh, number one, they should read Exit Rich. <laughs> um, because most a lot of business owners think that their business is sellable, and it's not. Hmm. And it's not sellable for a multitude of reasons. Typically, the number one reason it's not sellable is because business owners have unrealistic expectations of what their business is worth. You know, they'll come to me and say, I want $10 million for my business and their business is making $50,000 a year. Well, nobody's going to pay you $10 million to make 50 grand a year. So, and when I ask them, you know, how did you come up with $10 million? Their answer is always, well, that's what I need to retire on. Or that's what I need to put five girls through college and pay for five girls weddings. Or, or that's what I need to buy my next business. You know, it's never based upon the value of their company. It's based upon what they need want not what their value really is. And buyers don't care about what you need or what you want. Buyers are only going to pay for what they feel is value to them. Um, so that's one of the number one reasons businesses are not sellable because sellers have unrealistic expectations. The other reason that businesses are not sellable is because owners are the business. You pull the business, you pull the owner. I mean, the owner has created a glorified job, not an actual business. So once you pluck that owner out of the business, there is no business anymore. And there's lots of examples to illustrate that dental, dental practices, one dentist been there for 40 years, no other dentist. You take that dentist out of the practice, you have dental hygienists, but that's a personal thing that, that patients want their same dentist, right? Yeah. You don't necessarily want to go to a different dentist. Same thing with a chiropractor, same thing with an attorney, et cetera. There are so many businesses 
where all the intellectual property is in the owner's head, all the relationships are with that owner. You pull that owner out of the business, there is no company anymore. Yeah, I, I've, I've heard of uh, people selling companies, but they do kind of a transition period where you bring in another attorney or someone else for the five-year period, six-year period, whatever it might be, and they slowly start kind of getting familiar with that new individual. Yeah, so that's the best way to do it is, is actually build a business where you do hire other attorneys, yeah. build a business where you hire other chiropractors, but you got to make sure they're going to stay. And then you want to make sure that you have the right documentation, the employee contracts and non-competes if you can, because I've seen it happen so many times. Like we're trying to sell a chiropractic business and he's like, he's going to show I have two chiropractors. Well, guess what? I bring a buyer. Guess what's the two chiropractors tell the buyer? Oh, we're not staying. <laughs> one says I'm moving. And the other one says, as soon as doc leaves, the doctor leaves, I'm gone too. So now you're back to square one because the owner doesn't live here or doesn't live in the state that the business is in. And yeah. now there's going to be nobody to run the business. <laughs> there's going to be no chiropractor. So you really have to build a business. Plus you had no compete. So one of the chiropractors can go like, can go right across the street yeah. and compete. So nobody wants to buy that business. You want to make sure that you build an actual business that can run without you, that you can take a vacation for months upon months and months upon months at a time. You want to make sure you have employment contracts. You want to make sure you have those non-competes. So you are really have a business that somebody can buy. Let's jump back to the, the first one where you talk about the emotional aspect of it, where someone's saying, I need this because a family member, I need it for a wedding. When someone brings that to your attention, What's your response or how do you break it down for them to come to the true facts? Yeah. So every, every, every business, well, not every, but most business owners look at their business as their baby. So it's my job to tell them, you know, that your baby is not as pretty as you think it is, but <laughs> I have to let them down gently. Yeah. And so I use education. I educate clients. I educate them uh, upon the buyer sanity check, what buyers look for, you know, where the financials have to be, where the EBITDA needs to be for you to sell for $10 million. It can't be at 50,000. You're gonna have to have an EBITDA around 2 million. I show them industry standards. I show them business comps. I show them data to support what I'm saying so they can understand because it's not, it's not that, it's not that, it's not that, it's not that they're not, that they're stupid or anything. I just think they're uneducated that they don't understand. Like, you know, and then, you know, what I do too, that really helps Finny is I'll say, listen, if the roles were reversed and you were looking to buy this business, would you pay $10 million for it? <laughs> and when they start to put it on the buyer's hat and step into the buyer's shoes, they're like, no, I would never <laughs> pay $10 million for this. So they're so focused on what they want and what they feel like they need in order to sell their business and, and enter into the next phase of their life that they, you know, they don't really think about it from the buyer's perspective. But when I, when I do that with them, now they get it and they understand it. How many of your conversations, what percentage of people that you have conversations with about selling their business? Is it actually after you have a heart to heart with them or lay the true facts to them? Do they actually go forward with the sale? Yeah. So that's a great question. And, um, I would tell you most advisors probably have a 40% success rate, you know, which is really low. Right. 
And sellers who try to sell their own business on their own is about a 40% success rate as well. We have a much higher success rate because we go through these exercises ahead of time. You know, there's, there's a chapter in my book, Exit Rich, that deals with the seller sanity check. When and why should you sell your business? Because timing is everything. So because we do all the work up front, very few of them fail to close. You know, I did have a manufacturing business that was husband and wife, and they turned down three letter of intent, three LOIs that I bought them. And they were all great LOIs. They all met the price, they all met the terms, but they kept turning them down. So finally I said, listen, this is it. I'm taking a business off the market. You have to figure out what you want to do next because you keep sabotaging everything. You keep turning down great offers. So I'm not going to keep spending more money marketing your business when you're not going to accept anything. I said, take a few weeks, figure out what you and your wife want to do and come back to me. And they did that. So I would say about three, four weeks later, they came back to me and said, you know what? We figured it out. We know what we want to do now with the proceeds of the sale. And they said, we've always been passionate about bed and breakfasts. So we're going to take that money and either buy one or start one. And I said, perfect. <laughs> now we have a plan. We have a beginning plan because you really cannot exit a business until you figure out what your beginning strategy is. So the next offer I bought them, they accepted, they closed, and now they're in a, in a bed and breakfast and they're happy. And that's what happens, Vinny, is that business owners get so busy. Like we all have things that we're passionate about, right? When we were young, we all had things that we were excited about, that we were passionate about. But then business owners get really busy running their business, tending to their family, you know, dealing with the everyday stress. Then we forget what we were, what we were once passionate about, what, you know, what excites us, right? And so that's what I really try to do with owners is try to figure out what that is. Well, going back to exciting stuff, right? You talked about how sales was exciting mm -hmm. for you. Yeah. Right? Do you still feel that rush that you felt when you first started in sales now when you're dealing with basically clients today? I do. I do. I absolutely do. And I feel it even more because what I'm selling now is not even not just only a bigger ticket, which means higher commissions, <laughs> but it's also most importantly more fulfilling because I'm helping business owners achieve their goal. I'm helping business owners exit rich, retire rich. You know, because so many business owners, eight out of 10 businesses won't sell. And these business owners are being forced to sell for pennies on the dollar, close their business, or even worse, file bankruptcy. So it's very fulfilling to me when I can help a business owner you know, build a sustainable, scalable, and when they're ready, sellable business. Now, we've talked about the idea that you went to one platform, it went good there, went positive here, and kind of working through. Now, something that was out of your control, being from New Orleans, Katrina. Mm -hmm. How was that? Because it's not really something that, that you did, but it was an outside source that you're kind of having a, that's affecting your business. Yes. And there's, you know, there's all kinds of catastrophic events that occur that's outside external. I call them external catastrophic events. COVID is one of them. You know, there's all kinds of external events that, that can cause uh, business owners, you know, a lot of heartache can cause them to literally go out of business. Um, and to August, 2005, this little teeny tiny storm called Katrina hit, <laughs> which really devastated New Orleans. And it wasn't so much the it wasn't so much the, the um, hurricane itself as it was that the levees broke. And so New Orleans is already, you know, so many feet below sea level because we're in a fishbowl. And um, practically 90, 95% of my businesses literally went underwater. 
And most of my business was in Louisiana at the time, most of it in New Orleans. And so, you know, I really didn't have any inventory to sell. Plus my clients were devastated, you know, cause they were out of business. And so that taught me a lot of lessons, you know, it taught me to diversify. <laughs> it taught, taught me not to have all my business in one state or one city. You know, it taught me uh, <clears throat> not to just have one revenue source, but, you know, have other businesses as well, not all in M&A. And so diversifying business, diversifying industries, diversifying states and locations. Do you remember the moment you're trying to build yourself up from that? And I mean, the devastation that you're going through, I mean, I'm assuming a lot of revenue, you're losing it. Was there a moment where you're just kind of almost freaking out or and trying to get back I on have, track? Yeah. My husband would love to be on the show right now because he would tell you I lost my mind like every, like every <laughs> hour <laughs> for a year. Yeah. It was really devastating. Um, you know, we couldn't get back into New Orleans. We ended up staying at a friend's house about an hour outside of New Orleans for about, I don't know, two or three months, a long time. And it was devastating. You know, I was like, I'm moving back to Texas because I grew up in Texas, you know. Um, I lived in Dallas when I met my husband who's from here, who's from Louisiana. And I said, I'm moving back to Texas. We're going to Texas. We're not staying in New Orleans. And it was devastating. And it was extremely stressful for him and for, for me, uh, for him because he has – multidisciplinary clinics and th two of his clinics were completely wiped out by the hurricane. One was blown off the, the street, like completely blown away. And the other one was completely underwater. So it was devastating, you know, but I try to put it in perspective because I have a lot of friends who lost not only their, their business, but they lost their home. They lost everything. And so we had our home and, and we had our memories and, you know, that was great. So a lot of people lost all their memories, you know, like all their wedding pictures and pictures of their children being born, et cetera. Um, so, you know, I try to put it in perspective, but it was very, very stressful. Luckily enough, I was able to sell a business and make a pretty good commission. Um, a guy out of California actually <laughs> bought the business and relocated it to Florida. Oh, nice that year. So that, that was good. Um, but it was, it was very stressful times for everybody in Louisiana. So you're talking about that. Your husband would say that every hour, you know, throughout the year, you were freaking out. What was bringing you back to kind of some level of normalcy? Was it the idea of putting it in perspective or was there something else that you kind of went through to bring you back? He might, you know, he might say every second, I don't know, but <laughs> he was freaking out too, you know, but, um, I think what, you know, put it back in perspective for me is number one, I'm, I'm not a quitter. I'm extremely resilient. I'm persistent. You know, um, I'm not going to quit or stay down for long. And, you know, I think what really uh, brought me back was seeing, you know, what my clients were going through and how devastating it was for them and really trying to help them and focus on them. And um, I did also own another company at the time. And I was doing a lot of marketing for that company too at the time, you know, bringing MR emails, bringing water, bringing hand sanitizer to clients, you know, just trying to help others and do whatever we can to help others kind of got me out of it. That makes sense. Snapped me out of it. Now you've, you've come from a lot you've transacted a lot of businesses. You've probably, you've learned a lot. 
if if you could look back at that that young girl, that young woman that had that first wedding company, right? What kind of advice would you give her? Um, I think I did really well with that company, but the advice that I would always, the advice that I always would give my younger self, because I get asked this question, but the advice I always would give my younger self is, you know, really align yourself with the mentors early on. Hmm. Align yourself with experts early on. Don't ask people who have never done anything of significance for their advice, you know, because so many people go out to people who have never really built a successful business and ask them for their advice. So I would say align myself with mentors early on because I really never did that until 2011, 2012. Um, I would also say, you know, make sure you always think long-term, hmm. you know, no matter what, whatever you're doing, because uh, a lot of people are like, you know, want to go out, want to do this, want to hang out. But none of that really contributes to your long-term goals. Am I making sense? No. So, no. yeah. So really, before you say yes to things, and I'm all about saying yes, but, you know, make sure it's the right yes. And make sure that it's, it's you know, aligns with your values. And make sure that it's going to affect you in a positive way long-term and get you to where you want to be. If and you brought up the idea of mentors and something that I, I love talking to, talking about with people, the simple fact that there's so many men, quote unquote mentors out there, like you said, fake mentors, real mentors, and like that. How do you find the right mentor for you? Yeah, so that's that's you know that's probably the tough part. It's kind of like finding the right marketing company. I've been through so many marketing companies. That, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that, and you know they just fall very short. Um, I think you know to find the right mentor. You really need to know, okay, well, what have you done? <laughs> you know, and and what are you trying to accomplish? So if if somebody is trying to grow their business, then you don't want to go to a consultant that's never really grown a business before. Am I making sense? Yeah. Definitely. You want to go to somebody who's really grown a multi-million dollar, multi-billion dollar business. You know, if it's in technology, Get a mentor in technology. Try to find a, a mentor in your specific industry, but most importantly, somebody who's built what you're trying to build. Mm. Um, you know, not just get somebody who's on stage speaking all the time, because just because they're on stage speaking doesn't mean that they're the real thing. Doesn't mean that they've done it and they're successful. They're just on stage speaking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. It, it, and I've hired some of those people and. They don't, you know, some of them haven't delivered. Some have, some haven't. You got to do your due diligence. Always go Google. <laughs> you know, I hired a marketing company not too long ago that um, didn't do anything they said they were going to do. And then I went to Google them. I Googled them after the fact. Um, and then I found out all this stuff. And I'm like, ah, oh, why didn't I do that beforehand? I know better. You know, yeah. a lot of times we just, we get so interested in making a decision and moving, you know, moving forward that we don't really do our due diligence before we hire somebody or align did ourselves you, with someone. Did you look to hire that, um, that company for a sales position? Cause they were able to sell you without looking on uh, Google for you. Did I hire them for what? A sales position. When someone's able to sell you without you actually doing the research, something that you always do, they might have yeah. been a good salesperson. Yeah, exactly. Well, they were a good salesperson, and you know they had. Yeah, I'm not gonna say anything else because no. <laughs> I don't want to say anything <laughs> negative about them. But yeah, they were definitely a good salesperson. But just do your due diligence, and you know what? Ask for ask for testimonials. You know, ask for people that you can actually talk to. 
and take the time. Don't don't make the decision too quickly. So you, you've written you've written a book, Exit Rich. You've been on stage. You've done speaking engagements. You've I mean, the list is, is long of all the people that have uh, given their thumbs up about your book, about your speaking engagements. You've shared the stage with so many people in five years from now. Right. If we're talking in five years, what's next? Where are you going to be? What's next? What am I going to be? Well, I'm not going to be, um, I'm not going to sell my business yet. <laughs> <laughs> I would say, um, you know, I love that. I'm going to have a couple of New York times bestsellers under my belt. I, um, am obviously going to continue to help business owners. I am going to grow my brand, Sadler Tucker, my M&A firm and, um, in other cities and states. And so therefore we can, you know, help more people, help more business owners to, to build their business and to sell their business. And, and if a business owner is listening right now and they looking to sell their business, what's the best way of reaching your company, reaching yourself? What's the best way of reaching out? Well, I would encourage everyone to go to exitrichbook.com. And I just want to really, you know, point out to the fact that exitrichbook.com is not just about selling a business because Everybody that wants to sell a business, not everybody, but 90, I would say 80% of them are not going to be able to sell. So Exit Rich is all about building a sustainable, scalable business that works for you rather than you working for it. So that when you are ready, you don't become a statistic and you have a sellable asset. So you can exit rich and not exit poor. So I would and I would encourage everybody to go read Exit Rich. Um, and can I put the plug in where they can buy the book? Please, please. Yeah. Yep. So they can go. So everybody, you can buy it on Amazon um, or you can go buy it at exitrichbook.com, exitrichbook.com. And it's for $24.79, which includes shipping, which is less expensive than Amazon right now because we're in pre-sales. And so the minute that you buy the book from exitrichbook.com, we will email you the digital copy so you don't have to wait for the book for the launch date. Plus, we will send the hardcover to your doorstep. Plus, we will give you a lifetime membership to Exit Rich Book Club where we have video training content of me, you know, going through deep dive strategies of what you need to do to build your business to run on what we call all six P's that we talk about in Exit Rich. Plus, we have documents, lots and lots of documents. So a lot of clients will ask me, Michelle, what does an employee handbook look like? What's a non-compete look like? What's an organizational chart look like? Or even sellers, you know, they've never seen a sample letter of intent or a sample, um, due diligence checklist or sample closing docs. All of these documents are available for your review and your download. And it will cost you about 20 to $25,000 if you tried to buy this or try to get your attorney to draft these. So they're available to you for free. And then we also are offering a 30 day free membership into club CEOs, which is an entrepreneurial uh, group that I started where we do hot seats, masterminds and Q and A's. So that's exitrichbook.com. So you're just, if you're listening, you're not getting a book. You're basically a lifestyle, basically anything, everything you could want in that uh, $24.95. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing, too, that I didn't mention, Vinny, is that Sharon Lecter is my co-author who wrote Rich Dad, Poor Dad with Robert Kiyosaki. She's oh, a wow. New York Times bestselling author five times. She's yeah. a CPA. She's a financial literacy expert. She was a vice. She was advisor to Obama and several other presidents. And her husband's an intellectual prop, uh, property attorney. So she sprinkles little mentoring corners. She calls them mentoring corners um, after every single chapter from her perspective. 
plus the book was endorsed by Steve Forbes and Kevin Harrington, original Shrug on Shrug Tate, wrote the foreword. We got Les Brown, Brian Tracy, Tom Hopkins. You know, like you said, we got everybody. Jack Canfield, Mark Victor Hansen. Yeah, if it's in the financial sector, you probably have them on on the book, or they've, uh, or you met them, or been on the stage with them. So, no, it's 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 definitely impressive. If anyone listening right here is looking to take advantage, just kind of curious about it, maybe you haven't even started a business, but you kind of want to get a game work of kind of what's possible, having the information. Reach out, exit rich, get the book, buy the book. I'm going to buy the book uh, and take a take a read and. If you already live in Southern California and looking to basically maybe sell your business and get out of Southern California, don't worry. I can help you out with the residential aspect of it and sell your property. So two <laughs> birds with one stone. We're good to go. Yes. And I can sell the business. Also, they can text Michelle to 888-526-5750. And then all my social media plus all my websites pop up. Perfect. Well, thank you again, Michelle, for being on the, the platform. Thank you guys for listening. Please subscribe. Please share. Buy the book. Thank you for listening to The Road to Growth, Success of an Entrepreneur. Please like, subscribe, and stay connected. Visit www.TheEnriquezGroup.com. Yeah, I created a website. Hope to see you again next week. The Enriquez Group, signing off.